Welcome back to Prosecco Theory. I'm Megan. Hi, Michelle. How's it going? It's good. I can't stop thinking about Lovecraft Country. I am kind of pissed that you're watching that before me. That never happens. It's so weird because I do not watch scary shit like that. Scary sci-fi. I started watching it here and there with somebody who, you know, can protect me in case one of those (laughs) monsters actually comes out of the TV. And now I can't stop thinking about it. This is why you don't watch scary shit? No, I'm not thinking about it because I'm scared. I'm thinking about it because it's so different and weird and interesting, like all in a good way. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I'm trying to refocus my mind right now. Come back to me, Megan. Okay, I'm coming. I will say I've heard great things about it and it's on my short list for sure. And I might have to start like immediately since you're already watching. Well, if you catch up to where I am and you want to watch it with me so you can protect me from the monsters, that's okay too. Honey, I'll always protect you. (laughs) Don't worry. Thank you. Of course. So Guys, I want to start off today by addressing something that happened last week. I had someone reach out to me and express extreme discontent with a brief story that I told about them here on this podcast. Mm, I've been wondering when that was going to happen at some point to one of us. Right? It's only a matter of time, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Now, first of all, we realize that we do tell some stories here that don't paint the subjects like in the best light. Um, That's a big part of why we would never call anyone out by name. Never. Never. Unless somebody consents or we're saying something nice. (laughs) Right. Yes. Secondly, and I feel that this should go without saying, a 30-second story about someone does not define them. No. It can't possibly capture everything about who they are or what may have happened between us. Um, But this person has clearly decided that my entire opinion of them boils down to that one anecdote. Took it personally. Yes. Um, I genuinely had no clue that they were listening, or if they are continuing to listen, I guess. But I suppose that's neither here nor there. I replied to them to apologize, and it was sincere, truly. Um, But it was angrily rejected, uh, and they proceeded to tell me, at length, what a terrible person I am. At length is a key phrase here. A lot of length. There was a lot of paragraph length text messages. Yes. So... I'm telling this to all of you because we want to use this experience as a jumping off point for a topic that we've been wanting to tackle for a long time. Taking things personally. Because ultimately, I will probably always be a villain in that person's story. And I need to be okay with that. Which is really interesting to think about. Like you are saying you have to accept that no matter what you say or Mm -hmm. how you respond, you're going to be the villain in their story because that's their experience. And I think what you're saying is, if you understand that you aren't going to change that, Mm -hmm. then you're able to not take it as personally, because it's not about you, right? It's about them. And the way they need to see you in that experience. (laughs) What the hell is that? Holy shit. (sighs) Animal Kingdom. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, the other side of that is that if that person wasn't taking things so personally, that entire exchange would not have happened because they wouldn't feel that strongly about it. They clearly are. So I think that there's fodder on both sides of this particular issue. Well, here's the thing. I think it would be perfectly fine for somebody to reach out and say, hey, I heard you say this thing on your podcast. I'm pretty sure you were talking about me. I did not appreciate it. It made me feel uncomfortable. And then for you to say, I'm so sorry. I had no idea you were listening. This was like my personal story about something that happened in my life, an anecdote. I didn't say it to hurt you. It's just what I experienced. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they've 
made their point and you've apologized. This was like an unleashing oh, like yeah. a torrent of emotion and anger and projection. Honestly, I don't really think that the the reach out warranted like that that reaction was like grossly unbalanced mm-hmm. with the one thing you said that took like five seconds. Right. So Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. And I to be clear was genuinely sorry. I did not think this person was listening and I certainly didn't intend for anyone's feelings to get hurt. So no. Anyway, enough about that. Let's use this as our springboard to get into this topic because it's a big one and it's really important and we all can relate. It's really hard not to take things personally. It is. Even if somebody is just projecting on you. Well, let's back up. What's projecting? Okay. So I actually read that Sigmund Freud first reported on projection in, I think it was 1895, as a way for people to defend their egos. He described a patient who tried to avoid confronting her feelings of shame by imagining that her neighbors were gossiping about her instead. So that's an example of projection, but can you explain what it is, though? Well, according to Healthline... Projection refers to unconsciously taking unwanted emotions or traits you don't like about yourself and attributing them to someone else. Right. So like, for example, if you were self-conscious about your weight, say, then you might be critical of somebody else for their weight or their appearance because you're projecting your own emotion and anxiety and insecurity, right, insecurity Mm -hmm. onto that person. Yep. Um, That's a big one. Which you shouldn't do. Listen to our body image episode. Episode four. (laughs) Go back and listen. Yeah, that's a huge one. One of the biggest examples that I always see is when people talk about jealousy and cheating. Mm -hmm. If someone is cheating, they are far more likely to assume that the other person is cheating because they are projecting the thing that they're doing, the negative thing they probably don't feel great about. Mm -hmm. They're putting it on someone else. Yeah, I've actually heard people say that their former partner accused them of cheating. But then when it all came out in the end, it turned out that it was the Uh partner that was making the accusation that was actually the one cheating. Yes. I've had people accuse me of being the jealous type. You don't get jealous. No. Anyone out there who knows me, that's pretty laughable, Mm. which is, you know, it's another reason that I don't need to take that personally because I know it's not true. But I think what was happening there is that that person clearly had some issues with jealousy. Mm -hmm. And Megan witnessed some things to that effect. I did. It was really interesting to watch it unfold. It was a couple years ago. We were at a birthday party and the person that you were dating at the time was hanging out with an ex-girlfriend for just a little bit, had a drink or something. And they said something to you about it. And you were like, no, it's cool. Whatever. I didn't feel any kind of way about it. And then later on, they like accused you of being jealous of the situation. And you're like, I don't know what you were talking about. I said I was fine with it. And I watched the whole thing. And I saw it happen. I saw you say you were fine. And then I saw you having to defend yourself later. And I'm like, what the fuck? Turns out that that individual ended up being a pretty jealous person himself. Yeah. And it wasn't just that one person. It was like any time he said hello to a female he was like oh don't worry that's nothing yeah do you think maybe he was saying that because he was trying to like invoke some reassurance from you like saying don't worry and then you say something like yeah well I never do that either I don't know I think it was more that there are people out there who think that if the other person isn't jealous they must not really be into them because if they were into them then they wouldn't want them talking to anybody else 
Oh, right? I see. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Anyway, that's getting a little off topic. So another example of projecting is people that have a lot of social anxiety. Sometimes that can be a projection of your own self-perception. So if you have insecurities Mm -hmm. or are nervous or, you know, low self-esteem or whatever, and then you're in a social situation and you get really anxious because you're worried that people are perceiving you a certain way, that's just you projecting the way that you see yourself onto those people and just assuming that they must feel a certain way about you. I feel like we've defined projection pretty well. Yeah, I do want to say these are all examples of kind of negative projections. And it's really important to note that a huge problem for a lot of people is idealizing someone, Mm -hmm. projecting upon them who you want them to be, like putting them up on a pedestal. It makes it easier to dismiss bad behavior or if they're treating you poorly. Oh, yeah. I have definitely been guilty of this myself in relationships that, you know, there were a lot of red flags or signs that I... I'm raising my hand. and Megan wants to say something. No, no, I'm raising my hand like, yep, me too. Yeah. To acknowledge that I've done that myself when I was younger, especially. Gotcha. You know, I wanted a person to be this person that Mm -hmm. I, that I really hope they would be in my head. So you make all these little excuses, right? Oh, yes. For behavior or you could even do that with yourself too, right? Oh, of course. Yeah, I definitely have some big examples of that in my relationship history, for sure. And I'm getting a lot more aware of it, which is the only way to start fighting that, I guess. But but it's a big one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about the four agreements. Oh, let's. So for those who don't know, the four agreements is a book published in 1997, written by Don Miguel Ruiz. And Oprah had him on her Super Soul Sunday show or chat or whatever um, in 2013. And it catapulted that book back to the bestsellers list. So We are still talking about it today. So basically, the book lays out a set of four principles by which the author recommends you live life based on his studies of the shamanic teachings of his ancestors. Mm -hmm. So, Michelle, what are the four principles? Okay, so I'll read through these kind of briefly. Um, We're only going to really go into one of them. So number one is to be impeccable with your word, only saying what you mean. And that includes to yourself. Number two is don't take anything personally. We'll come back to that one. Number three is don't make assumptions. Ask questions and communicate clearly to avoid misunderstandings. And number four is always do your best, um, which will change from moment to moment. Because, you know, if you're healthy, your best is going to maybe be better than if you're sick or whatever. It takes that into account. So obviously we want to focus on number two, since that's what we're talking about today. Don't take anything personally. Okay, so the key points for the second agreement, don't take anything personally, are nothing others do is because of you. What others say and do is a projection of their own reality, their own dream. And when you are immune to the opinions and actions of others, you won't be the victim of needless suffering. One of the key points that he makes is, well, here's just a quote straight from the book. Personal importance, taking things personally, right? is the maximum expression of selfishness because we make the assumption that everything is about me. So let's talk about a couple examples. Like one of the things that you and I talked about leading up to this episode was like on dating apps, for example, Mm -hmm. when you match with somebody, you're talking with them, or maybe you even go on a date with them. And then 
boom, they unmatch you, they disappear, you don't know what happened. And that happens fairly regularly to people. And it is an easy out. Mm -hmm. It's also easy to take it personally, right? Like, what is it about me that this person didn't like when really it could be anything that That person is a stranger? Yeah, they could have had an emergency in their life. They could have had a technical issue with their app. Any number of things could have happened that caused that person to say, you know what, I'm not ready or I'm not wanting to pursue this right now that have absolutely nothing to do with you. Right. So you have to kind of learn over time as you spend more time on these dating apps not to take that kind of stuff personally because it's going to happen. Yeah. It'll happen more than once. Oh, yeah. It'll happen over and over. And frankly, you have no clue who that person is, and they don't have any clue who you are. Even if you've been out once or twice, you can't know somebody entirely that quickly. It's just a waste of time and energy to sit there and wonder and feel bad about yourself. Mm -hmm. Why that person disappeared, because chances are it's not about you. Yeah. They don't even know you well enough to make it about you. Exactly. You know, it may be that they're looking for a specific set of traits, or they're completely afraid of commitment or they're totally still into somebody else or whatever it is. None of those things is about you though. Well, exactly. And the thing that I think is really important to remember all the time for everyone is like, I am not the right person for everybody. Right. Right. And not everyone's right for me, but there are specific traits that I want. If you live in, you know, Baltimore, probably not going to work out. In case you guys didn't know, Michelle doesn't commute to date. Except when I do. See 20 plus prior episodes. (laughs) Slash, I'm also a hypocrite. It's fine. Anyway, I'm just saying that there are a number of things about every single person on the planet that could make them wrong for me. So why would I assume that I'm going to be right for everyone? Right. So some stranger that I barely know, that barely knows me, they can't possibly be rejecting me because they don't have a complete understanding of the entirety of who I am. Another thing is kids. Kids are so brutally honest, you know. Mm-hmm. Even before I have my kids, I have to laugh because I think about my little niece and nephew who are adults now. But when they were little kids and they, I would babysit them and they would get upset about something, they'd be like, you're not my best friend anymore. <laughs> <laughs> You know, kids just say stuff like you were saying something the other day about your son telling you your eyes look small or something. Oh, yeah. He says stuff to you all the time. He's just super direct and honest. Uh And it's like, you can't take that kind of stuff personally. I mean, well, that one in particular was I asked them why they were awake so early on Saturday. And I was like, man, I was supposed to be able to sleep in today. Why are you guys awake so early? And he goes, yeah, are you tired? And I said, yeah, I'm really tired. He goes, mm-hmm, your eyes look small. <laughs> I must have been kind of like squinty still, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, yeah, buddy, it's because I'm tired. And he goes, that's okay. You can still make me breakfast. <laughs> oh, man. No, but he, don't take it personally, Michelle. <laughs> well, I don't. Fortunately, I don't. I mean, and it's a good thing I don't because he tells me frequently that he prefers it at his dad's house. And I think that is a function of different rules around technology that his dad and I have. Yeah. He gets a little more leeway with things like YouTube there than he does at my house. And, you know, that's what he wants. I think that co-parenting is definitely something where it is so important to try not to take things personally because, Mm -hmm. you know, your kid may be excited about a trip or a treat 
something they know they have going on at the other parent's house. And if they tell you how excited they are to be there, or even say that they want to be there, and you take it personally, it's not about you. It's about the thing that they want. You know, Mm -hmm. kids are definitely focused on themselves and what they're looking forward to and what benefits them. So yeah, well, and sometimes the thing that they want is some time with that other parent. And that's great. Yeah, that's a good thing, right? Right. Another example of something that I think people take personally a lot is when you feel like you should, and I have should in quotes here, because I hate the word should. (laughs) Everyone should banish the word should from their vocabulary. It's awful. When you feel like you quote should be doing something, seeing someone else do that thing can feel like a personal affront. The projecting tends to come from this Totally, because you have some insecurity. It's some uncomfortable trigger for you or whatever. So I read this story years ago on this topic, and I will never forget this particular anecdote that the author used. I wish I could remember who it was and where I read it, but this is brilliant. So she took her kid to the mall, and the kid starts melting down, and she's like, got to get some food in this child. They go to the food court, and she gets some fries or pizza. Her kid was hangry. Yeah, it happens, man. But yeah, she like goes and gets some food court fast food and sits down and the kid's eating it. And she looks over and at a nearby table, there's another mom and kid. And the mom gets out of her little mom bag, an avocado and a spoon. And the pizza mom is sitting there thinking, oh, God. Like, here I am giving my kid some shit mall food, and this bitch over here is feeding her kid avocado, and she even brought a spoon. I feel sorry for the avocado kid. (laughs) Okay, fair. But the idea that this woman was just doing a thing to take care of her kid, and another mom saw it and immediately felt bad about the thing that she was doing. Mm -hmm. And I think the name of the article was Don't Eat Your Avocado At Me. (laughs) Like, she felt like it was projected at her. Like, you are shaming me by eating that avocado. But maybe her kid had allergies. Oh, who knows? That prevented her from being able to eat anything at the mall food. I'm just throwing situations out there where, you know, there could be a reason that isn't the reason that you're insecure about, you know? But it doesn't even matter because somebody else doing something for their kid has literally nothing to do with what you're doing for your kid. And if you feel shame about it, if you feel like that person's eating that avocado at you, it's because (laughs) you feel like you should be doing that. And again, get rid of the word should. Yeah, quit shitting all over yourself. Exactly. I am going to henceforth use that expression, quit eating your avocado at me when you're doing something that makes me feel shame. When I'm doing something? Yeah, when you trigger my insecurity. Ooh, I want to know what that is. (laughs) Speaking of shame, I definitely have yard work shame. (laughs) One of my neighbors and one of my best friends also, she and her husband have a gorgeous, beautiful backyard. And Mm -hmm. I have started calling it the Oasis because I just feel soothed as soon as I walk over there, which I'm sure is their goal. Well, yeah, they're out there all the time. They really enjoy it. Rain and shine. They work really hard on it. And my yard is subpar (laughs) until (laughs) recently when I finally Uh, started paying somebody to take care of it. You really leveled up with that hot tub, though. Yeah, that's true. Well, I have to bring it somehow. (laughs) But anyway, I will like get up on a Saturday morning and I'll be shuffling around in my sweats, drinking my cup of coffee 
And I see her family, like not just her, her whole family Kids out and there all. working on the yard. Like you said, rain or shine. And I simultaneously feel like, wow, you guys are amazing. And what the fuck are you doing out there right now? <laughs> it's it 9 a.m. You- on a Saturday. <laughs> and then I'm like, shit, do I need to mow my lawn today? Should I weed? My kids are on tablets. Ah, fuck. You know, it triggers all these. All like, the shame, all the shoulds. I laugh about it because I adore her and her She's whole family. One time you were over here and you were like, hey, quit making us all look bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> From the porch. And that's pretty much what it is. Yeah. I think you should start yelling, don't eat that avocado at me to them. I'm going to. Good. I know she listens to our podcast, so now she'll know what it means when I'm standing on my back deck and I yell that at her <laughs> while she's weeding or something. We're coming for you, girl. <laughs> her yard belongs in a magazine. It is stunning. It is. Congrats on that. <laughs> you know, it reminded me when you said triggered earlier. I think that we all have like trip wires, you know, oh, yeah. things that trigger us that absolutely have nothing to do with the person who's yep. doing them, but we still get pissed and take them personally. And I have such a feeling about people who nap. I was just going to ask you, are you going to talk about naps right now? It's waned a little bit over time. (laughs) I feel a little bit better about it now. But I will say that definitely at least like a couple years ago, it was intense. I have two little kids. I'm a single mom. I work full time. I travel for work. I have a household to take care of all these things. You coach sports. You do all the things. Right. And I'm on three boards. And I mean, I just have like way too much stuff going on. I'm, I'm committed to being overcommitted is what my therapist always says to me. Mm-hmm. That means that I'm often tired. And that's just too bad because that's... You would love to take a nap. That's the choice I've made. I also feel there's like a know your audience component. I'll be talking to some guy on a dating app or something. They'll ask me what I'm doing that day. And I'll be like, oh, you know, I've got to go this and this and this and work and coach a softball game and whatever. And then I'll be like, what are you doing? And they're like, I think I'm going to take a nice nap. And I'm just like, fuck off. Swipe left. I don't want to hear it. (laughs) Mm -mm. But I think that's just, you know, me taking them liking naps personally because I can't take one, which is ridiculous. And I've chilled out about it. You have. I do think there's a know your audience component. I agree. Like, fuck off. 100%. If someone tells you how busy they are. And that they're running their ass off (laughs) Uh for you to be like, oh, wow. Well, I'm going to take a nice nap now. It's like drinking a lovely margarita right in front of an alcoholic. Or like eating an ice cream cone in front of someone who's on a diet. You know, like there's just things that it's like, be courteous, motherfucker. Yeah. Think about somebody besides yourself for once, you jackass. Right. It's usually a good indicator to me that our lives probably aren't going to match up. Yeah, you need a lifestyle match. I'm glad I got that off my chest. I I was wondering how many episodes in we'd be before you talked about naps. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of an inside joke with Michelle and I now. Stop napping, everyone. (laughs) I want everyone to be as exhausted as I am. (laughs) Okay, all right. We got off track. Okay, so going back to the four agreements for a minute, I do want to call out a couple other little quotes that I found of his that I think are really powerful. One is, whenever we hear an opinion and believe it, we make an agreement and it becomes part of our belief system. And then that sort of leads into another one. We have learned to live by other people's points of view because of the fear of not being accepted and of not being good enough for someone else. How much do you think like social media plays into that? Oh, I'm sure it's huge. Yeah. It's sort of like people eating their avocado at you 
through your phone or computer. Completely. Because yeah. we've talked about this in a prior episode. A lot of people like to create this picturesque, perfect, mm-hmm. posed lifestyle that isn't really present right. in their day to day. But you could see a picture like that. I mean, I've heard people say that they have to get off social media or take a break from it because not the kind of getting off I thought you were going to say because you <laughs> stopped and paused right there. Sorry, my brain probably went to a place automatically. I don't mind. Okay, sorry, they have to take a break <laughs> from social media because maybe they're going through a hard time and everybody's yeah. perfect. For example, you know, we talked about how my mom passed away on Christmas one year. Mm-hmm. If I was on social media, it might have been really hard for me the next year to see everybody's perfect Christmas posts yep. when I was having a hard year, even though those posts aren't about me. They're about what everybody's experiencing with their families. Yeah, actually, I remember my ex, the one whose wife had died by suicide, saying that the first like holiday season without her, he was so angry at everyone for having a good Christmas. That makes sense. I mean, I remember when I got divorced, I was really angry at everyone for having a spouse at home to help them. Family photos. and like- <laughs> It didn't last very long. And I, rem- I remember one story in particular, and I'm still like ashamed of it to this day. But one of my best friends, she was telling me about how hard things were for her because she was juggling like having an infant and working and all this other stuff she had going on. And my response was, well, at least you have a husband there to help you Mm -hmm. manage it or something like that. Yep. And not right away, but sometime later, she basically said to me, you know, just because I do have that doesn't mean that I don't have hard days. And I was like, yeah, I am an asshole. I'm so sorry. Like I was in a dark place. And Mm -hmm. I was definitely like wallowing for a moment, a long moment. (laughs) Yeah, good on her for being willing to bring it up to you and good on you for realizing that it was fucked up and apologizing. Well, you have to be able to do that. I mean, we should talk about our last episode. Michelle and I got into a big (laughs) fight while we were uh, recording our last episode. I think we scared Cherish for a minute. We did. We cut it. You guys didn't have to hear it. Was it was like 12 minutes, right? <laughs> yeah. The thing is that we were able to just be like, whatever, and move on from it because <laughs> we both believe in our own opinions, but also respect each other and pretty much just didn't take it personally. Right. And that's a key to being successful in a lot of aspects. You know, we're working on this yeah. this project, basically. But even like at my work, I always tried, I always say like, don't meet emotion with emotion. Mm-hmm. Because that means that if somebody's like yelling at you or freaking out, then you're taking it personally. Instead, right. you just need to like listen harder and figure out like, where's the tripwire? You know, like what's making them so emotional? Right. Yeah. You want to deescalate, right? Taking things personally can take a huge toll on any relationship, business, personal, romantic, whatever. If the other person is not allowed to exist as who they are without you taking things personally, mm-hmm. it's never going to work. Mm-hmm. Well, you mean when you say exist as who they are, do you mean like recognizing that you're not the same person and they're going to see certain things in the world different from you and just understanding that that's not about you that's about their perspective totally yeah I I mean everybody has their own lens or filter through which they see everything and it builds up over time there's many layers from many experiences and years and years of living right and no two of those are going to be exactly the same so if you always expect someone to behave in the way that you would behave if you always make assumptions that someone's going to think a certain way about something because you think a certain way about something you're setting yourself up for failure well 
a lot of the marriages that I see that are really successful are people who let their spouse just be who they are. Like maybe one spouse is pretty social Mm -hmm. and one isn't. So the social spouse goes to a lot of events. And then when people say, oh, where's your spouse? They're just like, oh, at home. You know, like it doesn't bother them. Whatever. You know, they're both being who they are and not taking Mm -hmm. it personally. Like the one's not taking it personally that the spouse didn't come with them. The other spouse is not taking it personally that the spouse went without them. They didn't want to stay home and hang out with me again. Allowing each other to just be who they are or, you know, somebody wants to watch some show that the others don't want to watch or play a video game or go do different stuff and that again comes back to being secure you know with who you are exactly being able to do your own thing and just recognize that somebody that is wanting to do something separate and apart from you it's not about you it's about them liking that thing that they're doing yeah sometimes people need something in their life that you don't need you know no one person can be everything to some other person like you cannot possibly fill every need that someone has by being you that's why we have friends that's why we have hobbies yeah everybody needs to have more than just one person in their life well and that's why people who are kind of helicopter parents that are obsessed with their kids from the second they come out of the womb that's not healthy either because Mm -hmm. what's going to happen someday when your kid wants to grow up and go live their own life okay we're going down a whole codependency rabbit hole you're right (laughs) That's okay. There is one other thing I want to say before we move away from the four agreements. And I don't have a quote for this. But one of the things that is called out is that this isn't just about the negative stuff. Like with the projection we were talking about, it was mostly negative examples and then the putting people on a pedestal, right? So when Don Miguel Ruiz talks about not taking anything personally, he truly means anything. If you're at work and someone says to you, that's the best presentation that I've ever seen. He would say, don't take that personally either. Don't. Interesting. Right. Don't take that as a like praise and and validation of yourself, because if you need that praise and validation, you can't be your best and do your best as an independent being Mm -hmm. if you are living for praise and validation. Does that make sense? It does. It's not where I thought you were going, though. I thought you were going to say that his point was, if you get too much praise, then you will stop questioning and critiquing yourself, because that is one way that you make yourself better. You know, if you think everything you put out there is phenomenal, because you've got some positive feedback here and there, then you're not doing yourself or your audience any justice, because you're not asking for feedback or constructive criticism to help make yourself better. Well, and there are definitely people out there that think their shit don't stink. I hate that expression. Well, it's because you don't (laughs) like poop jokes. I know. Poop jokes are funny. (laughs) Somebody that I was talking to at work today said it's basically a giant pile of elephant shit. And I was like, Ew, but I really feel where you're at right now. Right? It's very descriptive. Okay, so it's kind of a gross metaphor, but it's real. There are people that think that. That's not what this is talking about, right? This really is referring to being confident enough and secure enough on your own to not need the praise and validation of somebody else, of anybody else. 
And being confident enough that if somebody says something to you or about you that you know isn't true. Exactly. That you can shake it off. Like kind of circling back to the Mm -hmm. beginning of the episode where we talked about it wasn't just, hey, I didn't appreciate you talking about me on the episode. It went way deeper Mm -hmm. into mean, awful shit. Character assassination. Yeah. I could see that you weren't really letting that impact you too much because obviously a lot of the things that were being said are inaccurate and just being said out of emotion and anger. Fortunately, I know that. I know myself. Exactly. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important to help, especially like young kids, build that inner sense of self Mm -hmm. and confidence. Because even like junior high and high school, man, that's a hard fucking time. So hard. You've got to be able to take some shots and realize I am not that thing or that person or Mm -hmm. that way. And I'm not gonna let that impact me too much because I know that that's not my truth. My question about that, though, is where is the line between I'm confident enough not to let that affect me and I'm a narcissist, so I can't take any constructive feedback or anything at all because I think everything I say and do is right and amazing. Well, that's a really good question. I don't have the answer. I know that's surprising because I know everything else about everything else. (laughs) Because you're a narcissist? Yes, (laughs) clearly. Which you were accused of being, by the way. True. Just to remind you. Oh, I remember. Yeah. (laughs) No, I think that I don't know for sure, and I certainly haven't done the research on this, but from what I have read in the past, I think it is a really common trait of narcissists to have huge, deep insecurities. The root of all of that is insecurity. Okay. Maybe this is projection in a different way, but like, I'm going to put up this giant facade of knowing everything and being the best. Well, maybe it goes back to what I said earlier, like you can project upon yourself. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's a whole other episode we should dive into. Narcissism, coming soon. We should do that one. Oh, yeah. So we've been talking a lot about all of this on a very micro level, personal experiences, dating kids, etc. I kind of want to look at this on a more macro level, philosophical and, and political Oh, we're going to get political? I promise I'll behave. Okay. This is like the siren alarm for everyone. Warning, Michelle's about to get political. Hey. (laughs) All right. I'll kick it off. Yeah, humor me. Let's talk about the common good. According to our friend Wikipedia... In philosophy, economics, and political science, the common good refers to either what is shared and beneficial for all or most members of a given community, or alternatively, what is achieved by citizenship, collective action, and active participation in the realm of politics and public service. The concept of the common good differs significantly among philosophical doctrines. Early conceptions of the common good were set out by ancient Greek philosophers, including Aristotle and Plato. One understanding of the common good rooted in Aristotle's philosophy remains in common usage today, referring to what one contemporary scholar calls the good proper to and attainable only by the community, yet individually shared by its members. Yes. What this is talking about is essentially individual interests versus the interests of the group, of the society, right? Those two things can be at odds sometimes. Right. I found an intro to philosophy course from City University of New York, and their section on political philosophy 
called individual versus group interest. It said, one of the ways in which government must act is to resolve the conflicts that arise in every society between interests that individuals have in their own welfare and happiness and the interest that the group as a whole has in its welfare. So there are so many examples of this. And I promise I will not go too deep into some of these words I'm about to say, (laughs) because I feel like that's a whole other ballgame. But um, first of all, smoking, every single person, you know, 18 and over can make that choice to smoke, right? But as a society, we have determined that secondhand smoke is harmful. And in a lot of places, it's no longer legal to smoke indoors or even near an entrance. So at least in Seattle, you have to be 25 feet away from an entrance to a building or in your own home to smoke. Have you ever seen that movie, Thank You for Smoking? I really have. I love that movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. And it shows just how fucked up the whole thing is. I know. Yeah. But that's that's an individual liberty. You know, it's my choice to smoke. I can smoke if I want to, except that your smoking is affecting me and my lungs and my health. Right? Which in turn impacts the need for health care. Exactly. For damage to lungs, lung cancer, things like that. Yeah. Another interesting one is seat belts. An individual has a choice about putting their seatbelt on when they get in the car, and one seatbelt only protects one person, but you should put it on because we all have an interest in preventing injuries for which society may have to provide care. Right. If you get in the car and you make the personal choice not to put a seatbelt on, and then you get into an accident later, whether it's your fault or not, you could get injured and you could also cause there to be significant expenses incurred with Mm -hmm. that injury, like emergency services and even like your fucking vehicle being towed, you know, shit like that, like getting into a bad accident that is made worse because you didn't have your seatbelt on and deploying emergency medical assistance and Mm -hmm. things like that. I mean, that all is contributing to a burden on society that everyone has to provide. Yep. So it's fair to make a law that people have to put their seatbelts on. Well, also because the government, this is the one time I'm going to use the word should, and I think it applies, (laughs) should give a shit about its citizens and should want them to stay safe. Yes. It has been proven that seatbelts save lives. So why the fuck wouldn't you do it? Right. Right. Protect yourself, protect everybody. True. Real quick sidebar. The Saturday Night Live cold open after the first presidential debate. Amazing. (laughs) So good. When Alec Baldwin pulls out the thong and he's like, I got my mask right here. (laughs) He's like, it's just like a seatbelt. You only wear it when you're pulling out of the driveway. Then you can take it off. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) I digress. It's good. Yes. The next one. And again, I promise I won't dive deep here. um, Guns. Obviously, we have the individual freedom in this country to own guns. Uh, There are people who want them for self-protection, for hunting, for sporting. Did you say sporting? Sporting. Sporting purposes. Got it. You know, skeet shooting. I don't fucking know. I'm not a gun person. Don't people have guns for sporting reasons? Yeah, yeah. this is a hard one for me because, you know, I grew up in Montana and a lot of people believe in the right to bear arms, you know, for their own protection. For Um, that militia they're going to join? There is a Montana militia. Oh, shit. Yes. There are a lot of people that are gun owners that are responsible gun owners that aren't purchasing them or using them to blow up a school or something, whether they provide access by owning that gun to individuals who do want it for one of those Mm -hmm. darker purposes is another thing. So I struggle with that because I grew up around people who had guns and used guns responsibly. And so do family members of mine. But at the same time, I 
believe in gun control and statistics. Common sense. Yeah. So it's a tough one for me, but I get the point that's being made. I just think there's an individual liberty there versus a societal interest in reducing like injuries and death. Right. One could certainly make both arguments and it is valid to say that there is a societal interest in reducing injuries and death. Absolutely. We will move on before I get too crazy about it. Okay. Lastly, go ahead. Taxation. I could also get crazy about that one, but I'll be quiet. <laughs> Look at all the self-restraint you've oh got God. going on tonight. You just I've... don't want to get another fight with me. <laughs> I've grown so much. Oh, man. Okay, so taxation, individual interest in preserving somebody's personal earnings versus societal interest in providing services and care for all. Yep. I'm baiting you. Well, you should bait me because <laughs> that actually leads me into an article that I fucking loved and wanted to read over and over again and would like everyone else to read. It is called Would More Social Justice Make You Happier? Too long not going to read? Answer, yes. Now listen to the rest. <laughs> So this article, Would More Social Justice Make You Happier, was by Jill Suddy for the Greater Good Science Center at Berkeley. Greater Good? Right. And clearly, if you're a science center named Greater Good, you have an agenda. Let's acknowledge that. I think that's fair to say. However, I happen to agree with that agenda, so I liked this a lot. (laughs) I'm going to give you your moment. (laughs) You should. This is great. (laughs) This is a brand new article. This came out um, October 14th. And she talks a lot about a new study that finds that people who live in countries that promote greater social justice tend to be happier. I mean, I can see it because we've lived in a country for the last four years that have promoted other things and I definitely don't feel happy about it. I feel a lot less happy than I did four years ago (laughs) in a lot of ways. And a lot more ashamed. So ashamed. I am taking it personally. Yeah, that's one thing we should all take personally. Mm -hmm. Don't let them steal our country. Anyway, okay. Woo! Gonna stop. So two researchers, uh, Salvatore DiMartino and Isaac, I'm gonna butcher this, Prileltensky, used data from the EU Social Justice Index, which scores countries on indicators like equity around education, healthcare, unemployment, discrimination, environmental factors, diversity, etc. And then they compared those scores to how satisfied Europeans are with life based on interviews with nearly 170,000 individuals. It's a big sample size. It's huge. Across 28 countries at six different times between 2008 and 2017. I think that's what they call like a longitudinal study because it progressed over time. Anyway, their analyses showed that not only does a country's social justice contribute to people's happiness, but it is the second strongest predictor of their life satisfaction. Only a country's social capital, meaning the strength of family relationships and larger social networks, the level of trust in institutions, and the degree of civic participation mattered more to people's well-being. I think that's interesting. I mean, that's a large sample size, like we said. That's a lot of countries. I mean, it's obviously an important factor to people. Yeah. They have to feel good about where they live and what their country stands for. Right. It's a fundamental part of their happiness. And we have been very distressed over the last four years. Uh, Yeah. So it makes sense to me. This just occurred to me. It reminds me of what you were saying last week on our episode with Cherish about uh, millennials really needing the name on the jersey to be something they can get behind. Right. They're not necessarily going to go work for a company just because of the salary or the title. Mm -hmm. They want to know that the company that they're going to work for stands for a lot of the values that they hold important, like diversity, diversity, Mm -hmm. you know, variety and 
perspectives and experience yeah. and not that like a stale old school mentality that a lot of businesses in corporate America still trudge along with. They're less concerned with the bottom line. Again, another plug for Carla Harris. She is amazing. I'm gonna have to check her out. So Perla Altensky argues that fairer welfare policies allow people to spend less time worrying about meeting basic needs like healthcare, education, and childcare, freeing them to pursue individual aspirations and to be more productive. And he also notes that greater social justice communicates to citizens that they have value, that they matter to their communities. And that's crucial to psychological well-being, right? Of course. I mean, if you know that you have access to good health care, education, child care, no matter who you are mm-hmm. or where you sit in society, then that I think would accomplish making you feel just as valued as your neighbor who has access to the same mm-hmm. good health care, child care and education. Yeah. It's worth noting that the U.S. was not a part of this particular study, but other similar studies have ranked the U.S. near the bottom in social justice, which I don't think any of us would be surprised by. Well, I don't know, because, oh, this study was 2008 to 2017. Mm -hmm. I wonder when those other U.S. studies took place. That I don't know. But that's bound to affect happiness, right? Being the bottom in social justice? It's not a question. That's just true. Those studies also showed that uh, when Americans live in a state in our country that has more inequality, they also tend to take more economic and other risks like drug abuse and gambling. People who feel they're getting the shorter end of the stick will take risky shortcuts to achieve life satisfaction. I loved this other quote that says, at the cultural level, we have to contend with this incredible arrogance that our ethnocentric way of doing things is the only way of doing things. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was like, I was either in high school or early in college, I learned what ethnocentrism Mm -hmm. is, where, you know, you are so focused on your lifestyle and your way of life that you just inherently believe that it's the best. Or the only. Right. And so you kind of look down upon anybody Mm -hmm. who doesn't live their life or experience life the same way you do. And it's just like, it's an arrogance about your culture and your lifestyle. And yep, it's uh, so on point in this discussion. Yeah, it's hubris. It's believing in a myth of exceptionalism that keeps governments like ours from considering that they have something to learn from others. Mm -hmm. Because guess what? We're not fucking doing things the best right now. Anyway, so for me, this relates because the idea of it's not about you. Personally, I tend to vote in ways that will benefit society as a whole, ways that will benefit the greater good before I vote for something that will benefit my bottom line. Generally, voting to help society does help me. It works out. But I have an example. When I owned a bar, it was during that time that Washington State went from the state controlling liquor sales. We had state-run liquor stores, and there was a statewide vote to end that, to take the state out of the liquor business. And it meant for me as a business owner that our costs would go up. I knew, because I did a lot of fucking reading on it because it was definitely going to affect us, I knew that our costs would go up. 
I also absolutely believed that it was the right thing to do. Because you are interested in the common good. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's very clear and obvious that you're very liberal. Who, me? <laughs> yeah, you. <laughs> I, you know, I grew up in a more conservative environment. Right. Now I live in a more liberal environment. I'm very, you know, immersed. Probably consider myself leaning more that direction. But I still try to, like, vote the issue, you know, instead mm-hmm. of just voting down the party line. Oh, like, totally. Probably the biggest aspect of that for me is the common good. What do I think, regardless of what this is going to do for me? Mm -hmm. I try not to take it personally. Basically, the issue on the ballot, whatever that may be, Mm -hmm. I try to vote for what I think is going to be the best for everyone. Bettering society. Not just for me personally. Mm Mm-hmm. When I found this article, I knew that I was going to need to talk about it. So um, thank you for humoring me. I appreciate it. (laughs) This is your platform. Yes. I do also want to call out a lot of the time governments and more conservative citizens worry about the costs of social justice initiatives, but that argument doesn't really hold water. There's a quote here from these researchers from the same article. The reality is we in the U.S. spend more than any other country in healthcare, And that is a verifiable fact. But we do far worse than any other country. We don't take care of our people. DiMartino, one of the researchers, adds that paying for social justice actually seems to benefit the economy based on the ones that they studied. The countries with higher social justice showed higher GDP. Interesting. Yeah. So, okay, I will get off my soapbox now. Thank you for humoring me. You know, we are all turning in our ballots right now. So whether you're super liberal or super conservative or, you know, moderate, wherever you find yourself, if you're completely humiliated and embarrassed by this administration, like we are, like we are. I mean, I know people who are pretty conservative that feel that way anyway. God, I hope so. It's been so ridiculous. So it's not about you, but for the benefit of the common good, please fucking vote. Just vote. Use your voice. That is something that you can do that is not for your personal satisfaction. You know, it's not about you. It's about everyone. Even just casting your vote as your privilege and your right and your responsibility as a citizen is not just about you. Even if you don't agree with us and you think that our current administration is phenomenal, vote. Use your voice. Yeah. Then vote for him. I would encourage you to still vote, unfortunately, even if you're going to vote that way. I just, (laughs) I think everyone should go out and vote. It's been really disheartening the last several years to see the low turnout numbers. So get out there. If you're able to vote, get out there and make your voice heard. Absolutely. There's so many ways that you can register. It's kind of criminal that in this country, at the very least, we haven't made Election Day a holiday so people can have it off work and go exercise their right to vote. And even better than that, mail in. That would be great. We've been doing it for 10 years and it works wonderfully. It is great, that option. Okay, so Michelle, I have a question for this It's Not About You episode. Mm -hmm. What if it is about you, though? Like, what if somebody has something to say that's pretty fucking legit or is, you know, constructive or whatever? I mean, you can't just ignore every single thing that somebody says to you. What if it is about you? That is an excellent question, because we all know that there are times that we do things that specifically the thing we did, the way we behaved pissed somebody off or made somebody else's life hard for that minute or a year or whatever. So yeah, there are times that something could be about you. And in those moments, what's really necessary is some self-reflection. So I think we sort of touched on this a little bit is 
when you recognize that something is a trigger for you, Mm -hmm. then it is about you. Yes. You know, like I was talking earlier about the nap thing being a trigger. (laughs) Yep. Obviously, that's about me. That's about me needing to like chill the fuck out and realize that different people have different situations in life. And some people have the luxury of taking naps. But I made the choices that I made. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. just have to accept that not everyone is in my shoes. Yeah. There are definitely times that, you know, you act in a way that can upset somebody and their reaction is on them, but maybe you're being a dick, right? (laughs) Maybe you should look inward, a little self-reflection as to why you were acting that way or what triggers you have that caused that or whatever. So there's a TED talk by a guy named Frederick Imbo, and he talks about if you're driving really slow and somebody's honking behind you and like, you know, riding your ass, maybe you were driving slow. Maybe you were doing 20 and a 45 and they had every fucking right to honk at you. Yeah. So maybe instead of being like, don't honk at me, you should be like, oh, sorry, buddy. Yeah. Like, thanks for the heads up. Totally. I was going really slow. Exactly. Like, I think performance reviews in, at work, you know, it's not just for you to go in there and sit and hear all the flowery shit about how wonderful you are. Right. It is a time for your superior to give you constructive feedback about things you could work on to be even better and hopefully help, you know, advance your career. But if you can't listen to that in a constructive way, and instead you just take it personally, then you're not going to grow at all. Mm -hmm. That's very timely because I just turned in my (laughs) (laughs) self-evaluation. But if you listen to it and you don't take it personally and you say, okay, here's things that I could work on and how am I going to do that? then it will help you grow. Mm -hmm. And they're saying things that might be constructive and not totally positive, but it's with your best interest in mind. Yes. And part of it too is that, like we were talking about before, if you say something to somebody that strikes a chord with them that that hits that Mm tripwire, then they're going to react stronger than they would otherwise. Right. So if I said to you, Megan, you're purple, what would your reaction be? Uh, that's ridiculous. Right, because you're not fucking purple. (laughs) If it was something that you felt totally secure about, like we said earlier, you wouldn't think about it at all. You'd be like, that's ridiculous. Like, saying you're purple. Right, and I'd be like, I'm not purple, so you're weird. You don't take it personally. You're like, you're weird. That's about you, not me. Okay, bye. You are clearly colorblind. (laughs) Right, so. Okay, I think we've talked long enough. The fuck, man? I could talk all night. Don't take it personally. Oh, shit. I'm saying that everybody's ready to move on with their lives and be done listening to this episode. All right. So we're wrapping it up then. If you have not already and you're enjoying this. I know there's at least a couple of you out there that are enjoying this. (laughs) Clearly there's one person who's not. That's fine. Rate, review, subscribe. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Prosecco Theory. Also on our website, ProseccoTheory.com. And you can send us an email at cheers at ProseccoTheory.com. We want to hear from you. What do you want to hear us talk about? What do you want to talk to us about? Let's talk about it. It's going to be great. Send us whatever you want. We promise we won't take it personally. That's fucking right. (laughs) Megan, cheers to that. Cheers. Cheers.